We love a child advocate here at Wildlings, and on today's episode, I'm chatting with early years childhood advocate Leah from Leah in the First Years. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Kabi Kabi and the Gubby Gubby people. We honour their songlines and storylines and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which you are listening to this episode. Hello and welcome to the Raising Wild Things podcast. I'm your host today, Vicky Oliver. Now, before I start, I just wanted to let you know that if you're loving the podcast and you want new episodes delivered straight to your podcast player each week, then don't forget to like and subscribe to Raising Wildlings on your podcast platform of choice. You can also follow us on the gram, or if you want to go that extra mile, you can also become a regular contributor on our Patreon. And you can find us at patreon.com forward slash Raising Wildlings, and your support, no matter what it looks like, means the absolute world to us and inspires us to create more content that will help get our children outside and into nature more often. And in today's episode, I'm talking with passionate, qualified early childhood teacher from New Zealand, advocating for the first years of life, Leah Tibbetts. Leah has a fantastic platform on Instagram called Leah in the First Years, which is full of empowering and super helpful tips on childhood development, especially in the first years of life. Loved for her practical and empathetic advice when it comes to all things children and the first years, I'm excited to bring our conversation to the podcast today. Hi, Leah. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. I'd love to get started by hearing a little bit about your background and um, knowing a little bit about Leah and the first years. Sure thing. So kia ora everyone. My name is Leah. I am an early childhood teacher from New Zealand and I have been teaching for uh, seven years now in early education, predominantly in kindergartens, which is like three to six-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And then I also ran outside work, um, a little Instagram community called Leah in the First Years. That's so cool. I love that. So let's start with something that I really love to talk to you about is of course brain development. One of the things I love about learning about brain development, and I feel like there's so much more that I have to learn, uh, and maybe you can share a bit more with us today, is that the more that we understand, the easier it is to work with children, to understand them, to parent them, to teach them. So what's some important things that we should know about brain development and young children? Amazing. I think it's so incredible that we're learning so much more about the brain as time goes on. And as you say, whether it's for teachers or parents, it really does help us to understand children so much greater. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So the amazing thing about the brain is that it is there's so malleable and so moldable. And so the amazing thing is we really can understand now that it's through the environment and relationships that the brain predominantly develops and that's how we make all those neurological connections and so breaking down I like to explain it a lot and I talk about a lot on my Instagram and with families that I work with is you can kind of break down the brain into like four four sections Mm. and 
when we break it down, we've got the four components. We've got at the very bottom, we've got the brainstem, which is all about our safety and our real reptilian brain, which is all about, am I safe? Can I learn? And then moving forward on top of that, then we've got the midbrain, which is all about movement, connecting all those gross, fine motor skills. On top of that, we've then got our limbic system, which is our emotional social brain. And then on top of that, we've got our formal learning brain, which is called the prefrontal cortex, but that's more of the higher level um, cognitive learning, more like um, language Mm. and just understanding all that kind of stuff as well. So, yeah, there's a little bit of a breakdown of it. Yeah. And um, so as an educator, how do you talk about this with the parents that have children in your care? Great question. Um, I think it starts really from when parents enroll with us and the teams that I've worked with before, we're all hugely passionate and we all have got a good mix between understanding all the sciencey stuff and then being able to break it down into smaller compartments. Mm. Like, because I think that's one thing is sometimes there's so much information going on that everyone's like, huh, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. But basically we just explain everything through, you know, just communicating with parents and just breaking it down. And when parents ask questions or children have had amazing learning moments or things that they've been working on themselves, we'll share that verbally. And then I'm not sure what it's like in Australia for like how you guys do assessment for learning in early education, but I Mm -hmm. assume it's something similar. We do, we have learning stories, which is like our written letters or notes to children, Mm -hmm. which are all about what they're doing, how it's relating to the curriculum. And that's where we were also talking about the brain development, what part of your brain's connected, because sometimes we can get too confused and trying to do, you know, numeracy, literacy, all those kind of components, but we forget the fundamental learning dispositions that are really crucial, which I know you guys are so passionate about. And that's where we can really bring in the brain and really explain, this is where you're learning. This is how your brain's developing. This is where you're making those connections. Yeah. Actually, you know what I love is that it explains so much of my own feelings and emotions and behaviours as well because exactly um, yeah learning all about how children's brains develop it helps me to understand because you know a lot of those emotions are still happening to us as we get older it's just we we usually have more strategies to deal with it Um, exactly I think the same whenever I do something I go oh that's where it's happening of course (laughs) reflect on myself my reptilian brain is kicking into gear I need exactly. to feel safe right now. Yeah. Um, so the more that we understand that, the, the more power we have to strengthen those relationships. So um, I also want to talk to you about the power of relationships that teachers have with children and their families. Why mm-hmm. do you think that's such an important relationship to build in belonging for children? I always say this, but the crucial, most fundamental part of all of early childhood education, when I think education in general, is those relationships. And until we can have a really strong partnership and relationship, not only with our children, um, our tamariki and Māori, and with our whānau, our families, there's like a gap because no one, there's not that trust and understanding and real true sense of belonging. And so mm. it's through those relationships and partnerships that all learning really begins for me, I think. Yeah, I would absolutely yeah. agree. So what kind of strategies do, do you use um, or the places that you've worked in have used to strengthen those relationships? I mean, it sounds one of those things that's very basic and understanding, but that's what I really love about early childhood 
versus maybe years going on for schools because early childhood education, that partnership is so there and it's so welcoming. Every day mm. you're communicating to the parents, you're talking to the siblings, grandma and granddad might come in. So you're really having that back and forth conversation so much. Some of the things that I've found that work just really well is just really basic social skills, you know, just really chatting to people yeah. outside. When you're at work, you, you're talking about your, the children, you're getting to know them, what they like at home, what they liked on the weekends, all mm. those kinds of things, just really basic chatting. But another thing, we're not a nature, where I have been working, we weren't a nature kindergarten. So we didn't have the amazing outdoors. We had an amazing mm. outdoor space, but maybe not as much as you guys have. But we have a lot and lot of adult-sized furniture, having a lot of spaces for parents to feel they can come sit down, be included as part of the day. If a parent's there that morning that has a birthday, we might do a big celebration for the whole kindergarten that day to celebrate Michaela's mum's birthday. You know, just little things yeah. like that that really make that sense of belonging um, so strong. Yeah, I think that, you know, in my experience of going into early childhood centres, it's a really key um, feeling is that the parents feeling welcome in the space. I know that yeah. it does depend on, I guess, the cohort and the families that are there, but it really varies between centres that um, really value and encourage family interaction with uh, yeah. compared to centres that are like, you know what, they interfere it's too hard. So um, often when we're talking about training uh, and one of the big concerns is, you know, parents' concerns and we say you should invite them down they can be you volunteers. Um, mm. that when they see it, then it helps to break down those barriers. And some of the feedback really early on was, well, actually they're the ones that become the most challenging, you know, like we don't want them there because they interfere. So, <laughs> so I, that cultural Yeah, it's a change, tricky it's yeah. a definitely a very tricky balance. In um, Te Reo Māori, there's a word that's called whanaunatanga, and basically there's no real translation into English, but we use it a lot within early child education New Zealand. But it basically it basically translates to relationships, inclusion, sense of belonging, all those kind of words about socially, but it brings it into a, a beautiful whanaunatanga. And it just, we always think back, are we, whenever we're doing something, is this creating whanaunatanga for not only the mm. children, but the families as well? And it's a really nice way to kind of reflect back for us. That's so beautiful because we don't, that, that's my concern sometimes with education is to disconnect. Mm, and you really it. want to have that connection and that sense of everywhere that a child is is part of their community, part of where they belong, and you don't want it to have this real separate delineation. You do want there to be a nice transition between the two, and I love that you've got adult size. Like I, I love the fact that it would feel welcoming to come and know that as a parent I could stay. And, yes. You know, hang around. And, and it's the thing. Yeah, and sometimes it can change. It takes a whole cultural, you know, like mind. Yeah. Sh- yeah, the whole, all the teachers have to be involved. The whole culture yeah. has to shift from one way to another, and it can be quite a um, daunting task. But as you say, like children's lives are so broad; they have so many people, and the most important people in their lives are their, you know, parents and caregivers at home. Yeah, and so if you really want the learning for parents to understand what's going on, especially when you're doing amazing like outdoor programs and maybe the parents don't quite understand the value mm. of it or what's really happening to be able to engage them, whether or not they're there, but just even through photos and videos yeah. and having that back and forth is really powerful. It is powerful. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about independent play. Um, I know that we 
Nikki and I worked really hard to make sure our children are independent um, at play. Mm-hmm. And it's often a, a bit of the goal. But what, what do you think our expectations should be around this, particularly with younger kids? Well, I guess my belief is all is kind of centered in attachment. And I think the stronger that attachment is to an adult, whether it's your um, child or a teacher, but if you really want your child to be independent and to be playing and to be exploring wherever you are, whether it's at home or at your local park, it really goes back to the, do they feel safe? Do they feel that trust in you? Even if they can't physically see you, they know they're there. And so therefore they're willing to go off and explore more so. Mm. So it's like being, you know, feeling of dependent to begin with in order to be exactly. That's it. And I think sometimes we think, oh gosh, I need to make them independent and that's how they'll become independent. But really it's like a rubber band. The more they stretch out, they'll always come back because that's how children learn. And the more they do that, so many repetitions, that's where they begin to learn that, okay, this is really cool. And then it starts off just, you know, as a toddler, they might just go walk to the fence and back and boat playing and then look for you to call out and come back. And then as they get older, all of a sudden you're just sitting on the grass and they're trying to climb trees and doing all sorts. Yeah. And I think that it's important for people to know that um, you can be there for a child and support them without being on top of them and without, yes. you know, making your presence known every minute of every day. You, you can have presence without being verbal about it all the time as well. Exactly, um, yes. Yeah, which is really cool. Um, do you want to talk also a little bit about exploration? Uh, and I guess we love talking about play. We've talked about it a lot, but I always love to hear other people's perspectives about the power of play and exploration in early learning. Of course. I mean, for, for me, everything comes back to play and play is the child's work, it's the adult's work. And I think it's amazing that as adults, we've lived in a society where the play has been pushed out of us so much. And mm-hmm. I just love when you are watching a child truly immersed in that real, authentic, rich play and they're so engrossed and you think, oh gosh, a child might not want to sit down and read a book for more than two minutes, but all of a sudden you're watching them play in the mud. They've been there an hour and a half and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't realize they could concentrate like that. And it's shifting our <laughs> mindsets. But yeah, I just yeah. think play is really that fundamental of all, all learning. Yeah. Um, I think it's really great to have you on here as an early childhood educator uh, and expert because one of the things we haven't really touched on much on the podcast at all is schemas. Um, mm. And I know that's a bit of a word that's uh, talked about in the early childhood sphere, but for our listeners that maybe don't know anything about it, do you want to talk to us about what they are and how understanding them can help us be more connected to our children? Beautiful. I love that. Yes, of course. Okay. So a play schema, or I know in New Zealand, we have amazing educators, Kimberly Crisp and Penny Brownlee. They've kind of created a word called um, urges, like urge to play, Mm. but basically schemas or urges are like patterns built in within children that they naturally want to go explore through their play. Now it sounds a little bit, what do you mean patterns? But when you start to really understand it, you're like, aha, of course. So a pattern might be um, trajectory that could be a play schema. And so you might see children constantly trying to throw their food off the high chair or trying to throw their toys at their sibling. And you're thinking, why is my child doing? All they want to do is throw their, you know, they're misbehaving. They're not following what I want them to do, but actually they've got this natural urge, this play passion within them that they want to throw. And so it's about reframing what we think about play. So, okay, it's not okay 
for you to throw food, but where else can I offer you those play opportunities so that you can get that natural urge because the natural urge will never, never go away. So it's just about giving them opportunities to explore it. But there are so many. So trajectory is one like throwing. You might have in closing, you might find a child who naturally really likes to hide under the bed or likes to sit in small <laughs> places or constantly building forts or things like that. So that could be another another play schema, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really um, fascinating. When I heard about that for the first time, I'm like, oh, explain so much. Um, and I, I know. know I've heard so many parents be really worried about some of them. Um, you know, like they're, they're lining up their blocks or they're lining things up all the time mm. or whatever it is. And then once I heard about schemas, it's like, ugh, explain so much. And I think as parents in general in our society, we just tend to worry about things if we don't understand them or if we don't have a context for putting it into a perspective. So um, I think that's really important to, totally. to know and I, these things. Yeah, and I think that sometimes it can be concerning because if you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I've told them a million times for the yeah. last two months or so to stop. I'm using the throwing the food example again to stop yeah. throwing their food, but actually that will never, no matter what strategies, no matter what boundaries you put in place, they constantly want to get that urge because that is their play schema and that's really where their brain is saying, hey, this is where I'm going to learn. This is what is going to make mm. me explore the environment and make all my brain connections. And so the body is saying one thing, yet we're looking at it through a different lens. I like the word urge too. I think that suits um, what we're observing better because it – it gives it that sense of like when it comes to an, like compared to a schema. <laughs> yeah, those words that we come up with. But it, it sort of it. explains that unstoppable need. Exactly. Yeah, and I think when you refrain, when you understand, okay, it's an urge. That is you trying to understand your child and think, okay, as a parent, they're not trying to misbehave. They're not trying to do something that is of concerning. You can understand a little bit more to be like, okay, so how else can I? how else can we do this? Can we throw some balls around or can we do yeah. something else in our day? Oh, so good. I want to talk to you. We've talked, we've, we've met, you've mentioned a few Maori phrases um, and talked a little bit about that, but I, I'd love to learn or hear more about um, this for the Maori culture in New Zealand in promoting free playing connection through a bicultural lens. Um, can you talk to us about how that is being explored and implemented in early learning and all through all other walks of life in New Zealand. Of course, of course. So I will preface it with I am not Māori myself. I'm from New Zealand and so it's part of my, um, you know, role as a New Zealander Mm -hmm. and as part of living in New Zealand to promote um, Te Tiriti or Te Waitangi, which was our Treaty of Waitangi. And so in our... New Zealand curriculum is amazing and I'm very proud to say that New Zealand is I think the first and I think the only bicultural curriculum for for education in the entire world and basically how the curriculum works is that everything is translated through a bicultural lens and so no matter what aspect of learning we look at we look at it through how we see it through a European Western view and then how do we see it through our Maori worldview and so Therefore, we have a really holistic understanding of what it means for children to be growing up. How do, how can we support te tiriti or te waitangi for Māori children especially, but for all children to be able for them to understand not only the language and to hear te reo be used 
um, you know, throughout our daily lives, but also mm-hmm. to understand the worldview and a lot of aspects of the curriculum have very similar um, views to us, but some of them are just slightly different, which is amazing. And what I think is so powerful for it is that everything we um, really believe for children to want to do, our curriculum promotes. So it's all about free play, exploration, communication. And so all these um, words and what we try to do, one of the key themes that runs throughout is a word called mana. And again, it doesn't quite translate into um, English, but mana for a child or for anyone, it's to hold your status, to have to have high self-esteem, to be valued as like value yourself, but be valued in your community, your curriculum. And so mm-hmm. one of the things we do is to promote children's mana and we explain it to families, you know, you want your child to have mana, whether you're a parent at home or whether you you're at school because that's how they feel about themselves. And so that's a really beautiful mm. um, part of the culture that we promote in our, um, yeah, early learning it in New Zealand. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. And it's something I have observed is that I guess from a Western perspective, we think mm. that English covers so much, like our language covers everything, but there are so many phrases and terms and ways of being that other languages and other cultures have terms and words for that you can't translate into English and there's this whole realm of exploration through that as well and how much we can be enriched like and how much we are enriched by having a cultural lens to look through Um, yes so I think that's so important for children to to be able to to explore that and I think that uh the way New Zealand has been doing it I'm seeing so many people reclaiming their Maori um heritage and language and it's so inspiring I'm seeing it here in Australia too um I think that probably obviously the big difference is that Australia has a lot of different uh, language groups and New Zealand is just the one so is it just one that's part of my ignorance no yes so it's Tereo is one there is there is different dialects so there's different ways sometimes across from the North Island to the South Island where words slightly vary but yeah. overall with it's it's basically yeah the one language but yeah sometimes yeah. there's differing views on how to pronounce pronounce a word but yeah it is amazing and it's something that I know all children whether you they are Maori or not really feel empowered because they're learning about their land that they are from the whenua they're learning about who they are as people but having I think having that bicultural lens on everything also makes you have a multicultural lens because we know our children come from all over the world I know Mm -hmm. you know sometimes I'll be on the mat and we could say good morning to everyone in about 16 different languages and the world is so diverse and how do we promote inclusion for all children is is so powerful and I know that some families come over it you know from all over the world and really want to say learn English or um yeah basically learn English and try shut down their their home language or their mother tongue but Mm -hmm. one thing I always say to parents is it's so crucial to identify you know have that true sense of belonging whether you're Maori or whether you're from China or whether you're from Mm -hmm. Italy to really feel empowered in who you are and have a strong yeah sense of self yeah, and I, and there would be such a strong connection to land there as well, um, mm. which ties beautifully into that, you know, free play and that connection to nature. 
She's exactly. Amazing. Beautiful. Um, all right. So uh, I think I'd also like to ask your perspective on, especially seeing as we're about to start the school year, uh, yes. how, what, what is it that our three to seven-year-olds need to learn? I know that they go to school or they go to early, early learning centres and their expectation is that they learn things and there might be a distortion of what that should be. But what do you think, in your opinion, is the things that they actually need to know? Yeah, so I mean, I think I'm very similar in my philosophy as what you and Nikki are in this is I'm all about that dispositional learning. So get rid of needing to, you know, exactly know how to count to 10 or know your ABCs. For me, it's all about those important life skills. So being creative, imaginative, problem solving, being able Mm -hmm. to take an interest, negotiating skills, all those kind of things that you can't necessarily put on a place and say, do you know that? Yes or no. It's not a tick. It's not, it's a skill that we have to hone in on and explore. And amazing thing is all those things are learned through play. It's not a rote learning skill. You can't say, okay, you as a three-year-old, do you know how to negotiate with a friend to get that spade across the sandpit? Yes Mm -hmm. or no. It's a learned experience that they've done probably a hundred times to figure out how does the other person feel? How can I get my words across? How can I communicate non-verbally? All those different kind of things into it. And I think that's what I love about you guys and Raising Wildlings is that is how you, you know, you learn and being able to be in nature and those really free play moments is just so rich in learning. Yeah, it really is. Um, All right. And then my final question for you before we do our rapid fire questions today is what kind of tips do you have for parents if they are looking for an early childhood centre? I think there are things that parents think they need to be looking out for, but what do you think is the the really key things that will ensure that their children thrive? Yeah, great question. The first thing always is the teachers. It doesn't matter really at the end of the day who owns the centre. If if they are a different component, it's who is with your children every day. Who is there? Do you have that rapport? Do you like their philosophy? And sometimes we pick a place because they've got, oh, my gosh, look at this beautiful environment. They've got some amazing, beautiful toys yeah. to have or they've got amazing reviews online or I'm not sure what you guys have in Australia is your, like, overarching but we have in New Zealand um our Aero which is education review office coming in and they give you a score obviously those things help but at the end of the day teachers is the most fundamental thing for me because that's where as we were saying the relationships is everything the other thing that I finding uh I'm not really again what it's short it's like in Australia but in New Zealand we are losing places that have amazing access to nature. I'm seeing mm-hmm. places being put up with AstroTurf that, you know, if you imagine an yeah. infant trying to crawl on AstroTurf in 35-degree heat, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> oh, so, God, no. no so having access to nature is one of the biggest things. Is there real grass? Is there places mm. for them to explore? Is there mud? Can they Can they go out in the rain? all those kind of things sometimes we don't know until we've entered in and we've enrolled our child but that's a really important thing to me that sometimes we um kind of you know miss over and then the other things if we're really looking into early childhood is just more of the like safe not safety but I guess safety things in terms of what are the ratios you want to have adult to child ratios small as you possibly can and 
So things like that. But yeah, I say the biggest things for me would be the teacher, the teachers, they are most important. And then as well, access to nature. Well, that's why, I mean, a lot of people end up leaving if like the critical teacher is moving on like that. Yes. 100%, you know, you might start for one reason, but people stay if their children have good teachers. So I'd absolutely agree with that. So yeah, um, it's been amazing advice. Thank you so much. Um, no I'm going to throw a few little rapid fire questions at you to round out the right. interview. <laughs> so I'd love Let's to know go. what um, your favourite book is or one that you're currently reading that our audience might really enjoy. Okay, I have an amazing book. It's called The Sacred Urge to Play. And so that's mm. what I was talking about urges before. Yeah, it's from Penny Brownlee and Kimberly Crisp, and they are New Zealand teachers and educators. And it's just an amazing book all about play. As parents, it's just amazing to understand. As teachers, it's amazing to understand whether you teach 13-year-olds or whether you teach 3-year-olds. I recommend it to everyone. Sacred oh. Urge to Play. Excellent. We'll put that in the show notes for people to be able to access that. And I might even hunt them down and see if they want to come on the podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where do you go to reset if you've had like a tough day or a tough week? My favourite place is the beach, my local beach. I've just actually moved to London, so there's no beaches near me, but that is my <laughs> place. Just being able to watch the horizon, watch the waves crash on the beach. That's uh, the most beautiful that's- place. Sounds like you're going to have to find a new place. Well, that's exciting <laughs> to be able to find a new place. Um, yeah, exactly. In, in new home. Um, all right. If you had to choose just one thing that you would change about the education system, what would that be? I would try get rid of the pressure to have children knowing how to count to 10, how to write their name, knowing all the ABCs for me, get rid of all that because it's free play is where learning really happens. Amen. Mm-hmm. Awesome, Leah. Okay, so where can we go to find out more about your work? Amazing. You can find me on Instagram, just at Leah in the first years. So that's predominantly where I am. I am on Facebook. I'm creating a new website as we speak. So hopefully that should be there soon. But for now, yeah, come find me over on Instagram. Yes, and I would recommend Leah has some uh, really amazing little reels and um, videos <laughs> that are really handy and helpful. So I would absolutely recommend following her over on our favourite social media playground Instagram. Leah, thank you so much for being with us today. Your insight into early childhood has been so valuable and I hope that you are enjoying the move to London. Yes, London. South London. Thank you so much. I've been really, um, really enjoyed talking to you and I love your work and it's so inspiring to watch across the ditch or now on the other side of the world. I love it. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Having a sense of belonging is a huge part of what we do here at Wildlings and as we kick the year off and if you're on the Sunshine Coast or Brisbane, you may want to join us for some of our nature play adventures with through our playgroups, forest kindy and homeschooling sessions and you can find a timetable for all of those at wildlingsforestschool.com or you can head straight to the bookings page at wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash bookings. But if you're unable to join us and would like some inspiration, we have some great freebies on the website including our downloadable activities for babies and how to engage the senses. So to find this great free resource and many others, you can head to wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash free dash downloadables. And as always, we love doing this journey with you. So until next time, stay wild. Stay wild.